Hey, people. Whoa. I'm a little hot. Can you turn me down just a bit? Emily's so quiet sometimes. We have to turn her up a little bit. Hey, guys, this worship team is doing awesome. We really appreciate them. I'm very thankful for them, and I'm very thankful that uh, just across the board, I feel like we've only been around for a little while as far as this semester. Uh, I've seen some of you new people worship like maybe three times, something like that. And I don't know if you are noticing this, but people are loosening up a little bit, and I like that. That's a good thing. You guys are feeling a little bit more comfortable. Uh, the, the aspect of worship that I'm seeing is a little bit more uh, genuine. That's pretty cool, guys. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that you would take the time to interact with God in a very real way. Hey, uh, I'm James. If you have not met me yet, James Boley, my wife is in the back. Uh, Kim, we are the co-directors of CMO Chi Alpha. What does that mean? Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. It, it means that we, uh, we're we kind of in charge a little bit. Uh, ultimately, it's God that's totally in charge, and, and we're just trying to figure out what he's wanting us to do. Um, but we come from a national organization called Chi Alpha. Here's the deal. What does that mean? Who remembers it from the last week or the week before? Christ ambassadors. Hey, it's in the Bible. I'm not going to take time to explain it again. If you would like to know more, please talk to me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about things that are usually kind of a little bit boring. So not going to hit you with that right now. But all right, outside of being Christ ambassadors, that is an important thing, right? We also have this verse that we live by, right? And it's the real thing that kind of motivates and and moves this ministry. It's the underlying current that kind of honestly takes everything that we do and it makes it real, all right? Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So this is the verse that ultimately it's, it's my heart, it's Kim's heart, it's the leadership's heart. This is what we want to be on campus. We want to be people that when you guys are seniors or whatever you are, you can honestly say, wow, I feel like this is something that I understand, that I know how to live out, that I have had people love me so much that they share with me their life and they've shared with me who Jesus is. Um, So I want to take some time. Uh, I haven't done this a whole lot lately, um, but I typically every week, uh, if I'm up here, I like to share a little bit of a story, kind of get us started off. Usually it's lighthearted. Sometimes it's not. I'm sorry. Um, But but this week I want to kind of uh, connect with you on a college level. You guys are college students, and once upon a time, I was a college student. Now, I will say, my college experience has not been like yours, all right? Uh, everybody in the room looking at me with just their eyes poking out, okay? Um, that is not something that I had to worry about back in my day, all right? However, just to help you to understand uh, the environment that I was in when I was in college, uh, I was at class on Tuesday, Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, when all of a sudden, actually I wasn't in class, I was in the cafeteria, I was eating breakfast, waking up, and I'm watching this TV screen, and I can't really quite tell what's happening, but there's smoke coming out of this building, and I kind of knew it was a big building, I didn't really know what the building was supposed to be, uh, I, di- I didn't really know a whole lot at the time, 
And that was the day we were finding about 9-11. And let me just tell you, that began uh, a long series of events that really impacted uh, colleges and impacted ideas of safety and uh, war and all that type of stuff. So uh, I went through a little bit of an experience at the beginning of my college, too. Let me just tell you, while that played a part in my college, you know what played a part a lot more? Chi Alpha played a bigger part, right? So I, I'm going to be honest with you. I found in Chi Alpha a community of people, a group of friends, and I found hope that I had not really actually known before. I found a peace that I could experience in Chi Alpha that allowed me to begin to, to create these relationships that continue to shape my life, right? Um, relationship with my wife. We didn't get married in college, uh, didn't even date in college. But that's a story for one of our romance talks, okay? Uh, February 14th, look forward to it. All right. Uh, <laughs> so long story short, I get involved in Chi Alpha, and as I'm processing through Chi Alpha, all these things are happening to me. I was an art major. I came in. I was going to work at Pixar. That was, my, that was what I was going to do. I love storytelling. I love art. That was my thing, right? And all of a sudden, after like two years of being involved in Chi Alpha, I'm like, I don't like computers. I like people. When you're a computer animator, you do not see people. Did you know that? You sit in a hot room with loud fans. And it's dark because everybody's like trying to see their screen. And you can't see anybody because back in my day, the computers were so big that like, like all you had was two monitors, big old, we actually had towers back in the day. You had a big old giant tower and you could not see the person sitting across from you. Uh, so it was, it was nuts. I did not like it especially. And I'm like, man, I love art. And I feel like God has given me this gift of art. But how do I use this? to connect with people. Oh, teaching. We can teach. Okay, cool. Well, we'll go into teaching. And so gradually, little by little, I get my life figured out. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, I think it was my first senior year, because I had to. Um, but first senior year, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was going to graduate. I was going to get a teaching job. I was going to be a good person. I was going to help little kids draw. That was going to be fun. It was going to be good. And then my jerk of a roommate comes, comes in. All right. And uh, so so Danny is the jerk. Um, Danny and my other jerk roommate, Justin, we were playing ping pong downstairs. We had this really cool like apartment. It had a basement. Uh, and in the basement, I, I had found this super cheap ping pong table that we had. I don't know how we got it down there, but we got it down there. We set it up. It was great. We almost died multiple pl times playing ping pong down there. Like you dive into the stairs and the stairs almost break. Um, but we were playing ping pong and all of a sudden, like I'm playing my buddy who is so much better than me. And so we're going back and forth and Danny's over here not playing. He goes, so I thought I should tell you guys, I'm going to be going to Vanuatu here in uh, a couple months. And the ball like hits me in the head or something like that. I'm like, what? Vanuatu. I didn't even know. What is that? Is that a place? What do you mean you're going to Vanuatu? You're a forestry major. What is, what is that supposed to look like? And Danny's like, yeah, I've, I've decided I've going, I'm going to apply to the Peace Corps, and I'm going to go to Vanuatu, and I'm going to be working on some basic uh, water systems and stuff like that in Vanuatu. And I'm sitting here like all these thoughts are rushing through my head. And I'm like, 
like Vanuatu is like 21 hours away, right, by airplane. And the place he was at was even farther than that um, because you had to get there by airplane boat, like one of the airplanes that lands in the water. And then you had to take a boat to get to the next place, um, like a canoe type thing on the ocean. Scary. He almost died. That's a story for another time. All right. Uh, but in that moment of all these things rushing through my head, I'm like, I could never do that, right? And this whole time I've been in Chi Alpha, I've been trying to learn how to talk to God, and I've been trying to learn how to, like, hear his voice. And for, I think at this point, maybe the first time in my life, I heard him clearer than I have ever heard him before, and it scared the living daylights out of me. He goes, you wouldn't do that for me? And I about lost my mind. I was like, I'm done. I got to go. I got to go upstairs, and I got to go talk to God because I don't know what just happened, but something scary just happened. And my friends are sitting there like, well, I know that was weird, but you don't have to get mad about it. And I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm scared. It's something else. I'll tell you later. Um, and so this began a process for me having to deal with the fact that all my plans were screwed up now because I didn't know what was supposed to be happening. I didn't. I thought I knew. I thought God had been directing me to be a teacher because I loved working with people. I loved working with kids. And all of a sudden, all these gifts of, of things that he's been giving me, it's just like, uh, I don't know if that's what that's supposed to be. And so... I think all of us at some point in our lives, we have had a moment where we've realized that the plans that we've made, the, the things that we were relying on, they've failed us, right? Whether it's maybe you, you've failed yourself, or it's another person that they've failed you. It's a relationship that you had that you were relying on that fell apart, or whether it's maybe even just a dream that you had. Oh, I was going to be this, and now something happened, and I can't do this. This, I think, is something that is very normal in everyday life, right? Uh, we all have times in our life where uh, we're disappointed in things. And so I want to talk about that disappointment tonight. I want to talk a little bit about um, how do we deal with these levels of, I'm not sure what the next thing is, right? I've had this moment where I'm, I'm excited about something, and now I'm not so sure I know what's going on. Uh, so I want to uh, kind of title this evening's little talk uh, to be, uh, it's, it's a long title, I'm sorry, it's not smooth. Jesus doesn't just give us hope for the future, he gives us hope for today. Okay. Um, what, what we're going to be looking at for the next couple of weeks is we're going to be taking some time, we're going to be walking through some of the Beatitudes. Um, now, the Beatitudes are actually some statements that Jesus makes uh, at the beginning of Matthew, and I'm going to read you what the full Beatitudes are, right? Uh, but then they're going to put up on the screen just one of these singular uh, Beatitudes, okay? Uh, the one that we're actually going to be talking about tonight, all right? And, and I'm sure you're asking, you know, why, what are, what are the Beatitudes? Why are these even important, James? Well, let me get to that. Let me catch you up, okay? So, uh, Jesus begins preaching, and a couple weeks ago we talked about he was traveling around talking about the kingdom of God, right? 
the kingdom of God is near you is, is what he was saying. And that was the gospel, the good news that he was telling people. All right. So the good news was something exciting for them. It was something to basically say the king is coming is what he was saying. And then he was beginning to tell them about not just the king, but the kingdom, the people that were going to live in underneath that king and what they were going to look like. The Beatitudes are actually statements that are going to help us to understand what those citizens in that kingdom that they're going to look like. Um, so I'll read them and I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a little bit more information about them. Uh, Matthew 5 verses 3 through 10 are where we find the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, now I hear you saying, those don't sound like blessings. Um, because mostly... To be honest with you, Jesus totally intended to do it this way. Uh, these were not necessarily the things that people would hear and go, oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to, man, really good for me. I'm mourning. I'm hurting right now. Good for me. That's, that's awesome. That's not exactly the thing that people want to hear, right? They don't want to hear, blessed are you when you're persecuted, Right? So what is Jesus saying in these moments? Okay, so I'm just going to take a couple of seconds. I'm not going to, I had a lot of really great study time on this, and it was, it's awesome. It's been really cool kind of seeing the stuff that God is doing underneath the surface. And I've been studying the Bible for quite a, quite a few years now. Um, and the beautiful thing about the Bible is no matter how long I've been looking at something, I'm constantly finding new things. And Jesus is constantly becoming more full to me as a person. I can see more of him. I can see more of what he's doing uh, as I have spent time with him. So this word blessed, all right, blessed are, blah, blah, blah. Bible's written in Greek, right? All right. Jesus probably could speak Greek, but he was more likely speaking to the people uh, in this area in Aramaic, all right? There isn't really uh, a word for R, right, uh, in this language. Basically, what we're looking at is we're looking at an idiom. And the idiom is, oh, blessed is the man, blah, blah, blah. And it's describing a person, right? Blessed is the person that does this, is, is what it's saying. Now, that specific phrase is directly saying, hey, not you are blessed when you do this, not you will be blessed one day because you've done this, but you are currently blessed because you are currently doing this or you are currently experiencing this, all right? This is a in the moment right now, if you are this way, you are blessed, okay? It is a, but it's a continuation. So it's a, a, it's a present and future blessing, right? In your current state of being, you are blessed, but you're also continuing to be blessed as you walk in this way. Does that make sense? So the word uh, that we're going to look at tonight, blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. Blessed are the poor. Uh, now, before you get stuck on the poor aspect, all right, this is not speaking specifically to poverty, okay, material poverty. This is not what it's talking about. The word poor does, in fact, mean poor, right? It does, in fact, mean like you don't have stuff, right? But what this is actually talking about is, is this progression of ideas, right, that in the Bible— the Jews, if a person was poor, it's like, oh, you must have done something to cause yourself to be that way, right? But also there's been this realization that not everyone that is poor has necessarily done something that has really been the big thing. Maybe it was their father or their father's father. So there's these generational ideas of, uh, of oh, you're cursed because of something, right? So what Jesus is actually doing here is he's helping them to understand in their own everyday language this concept of what he's expecting. See, when people said, oh, you're poor, right, back in the day, what is actually happening is they're saying, oh, well, you don't have material possessions, so you are relying upon God, right? And even in the Old Testament, right, it was really important that people would take care of the poor, the orphans, the widows. This was a major aspect of what Jews were supposed to do, okay? But what Jesus is saying in this is he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's going on literally to begin talking about, blessed are you when you are utterly dependent upon God, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is the jump he's trying to help people make. It's not about material stuff, right? In fact, oh, it's not good to be poor, right? That's, that's clear. Uh, we struggle with that, right? We, we even, as, a, as a Christians, we recognize, hey, if there's somebody in need, we need to help them. See a need, meet a need. But also, the opposite is actually true, too. Hey, Jesus talks a lot about money, and the wealthy are going to have a really hard time getting in the kingdom. Why? Because they cannot, they have a hard time being reliant on God. It's all about me. I rely on my own wealth. I rely on my own ability. And Jesus is saying it's very difficult in this situation to be a part of that kingdom. So as we are looking at this, this idea of kingdom, uh, what he is talking about is that, that the kingdom of heaven is a society, of, uh, a society where the will of God is actually done, right? The kingdom of heaven. Uh, go back to Matthew 6 when he talks about prayer. And Jesus, Jesus basically says, uh, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you like the old school uh, New King James Version, right? Uh, so what Jesus is actually saying in, in all this is he's like, my kingdom is the place that my will is actually done. So when we're talking about prayer, Jesus is saying, hey, we want, we want God's will to be done on earth because God's will is good, right? That's what he's, he's saying in, in his Lord's Prayer. Right. But Jesus, throughout his life, he doesn't just say these things. He actively lives it out. You see it over and over again. Jesus actively will find the sick and heal them. He's continuing to bring the kingdom. He's continuing to bring healing to the poor. He's bringing, honestly, he feeds the 5,000, right? He's providing for people, right? 
the widow's son that is dead. He raises the son to life. Why? Why is that critical? Because oftentimes widows couldn't work in that day and age. The widow was going to starve. Jesus brings back the son, not just because the widow is lost and broken and hurt because her son has died. That is true, too. But how many other people did he experience in that way? No, he was actually bringing back the son to also save the widow because he's now giving her someone that is going to help provide for her. Jesus models all of his life how we are supposed to pray and make sure God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But one of the most beautiful moments of Jesus' life that is recorded in the Bible comes from, you can find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read it out of Luke because it's a little bit shorter. Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, and he has his, his disciples with him. It says, On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and sweat like drops of blood, was falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He said. Get up and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. Not my will, but your will be done, is what Jesus says. Going back to the passage, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are utterly reliant upon God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus models this utter reliance. Who is he looking to to be his guide? He constantly is going back to the Father, constantly going back to God saying, you need to guide me, you need to show me the way. And then when he realizes what the way is, not my will, but your will be done. Why? Why does he do that? Because each and every one of us is lost in our sin without him following through, without him dying on the cross for us. Each and every human on this planet that God created to have a relationship with, we could not be in relationship with him unless there's a sacrifice, unless there is something to cover up our sin, to cover up our own mistake, unless we can allow the king to be back on the throne, we are lost. So Jesus follows through with the suffering. He follows through with the pain. He follows through with death so that we can be forgiven. But then he follows through with the resurrection so that he can be known. Because you can't know a dead God. But a God that's alive can show that, in fact, he is king. In fact, he is God. And, in fact, he can be known. So what do we do? What now? All right. What have you been coping with in life? What are you dependent upon? If we look to Jesus as our guide, suddenly we take a lot of pressure off the things that can't live up in life. The relationships, the friendships, the stuff. 
I can't tell you guys, and this is sad, how many times in the last month, August, we're getting ready for the school year, we're getting ready to meet you guys, we're excited, and just as I'm getting ready to do something kind of important, something happens. Like, oh, a giant limb falls out of my tree when I have something I got to go do, all right? Stuff will disappoint you. Stuff will fall apart. Stuff will break. You'll be excited. Hey, I got a new phone. Kyle got a new phone. He's loving it. It's like, this is the best phone ever. Five years later, Kyle's like, my phone sucks. I hate this phone, <laughs> right? Things disappoint us eventually. But in Jesus, there is no disappointment. Jesus shows us to be reliant upon God, and he frees us from this constant focus of ourselves. Jesus doesn't give us hope in the future. He gives us hope for today. So what do we do? All right. Well, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. There's a lot of things in this that we can do. I can't even begin to touch on all the things that God is doing in your heart right now, whatever, whatever that is, right? At some level, there's something that's been twinging in your heart when God's talking about guiding you. There's something that's been going on that he's trying to guide you towards. There's something that he's trying to guide you away from, right? How do we figure out what is this right thing he's trying to guide us toward? How do we figure out what this wrong thing he's trying to guide us away from? How do we learn to hear that voice? Well, guess what? I'm not going to talk to you just all about prayer tonight, all right? I've already talked a lot. Let's just be honest. Here's the deal. What I'm going to tell you to do, first thing, I'm going to invite you to come to prayer on Monday at 6. That's the first thing I would ask you to do. Why? Because this is a journey. This is a constant process as we travel towards Jesus. We have to learn to begin to journey with him. We have to learn to let him guide us on this journey. Not everything happens all at once. I didn't show up at college and all of a sudden God said, hey, you wouldn't do that for me? No, it was a journey. It was a process. God began to speak to me little by little. And gradually, little by little, I would say, yes, Jesus. And sometimes I would say, no, Jesus. And eventually, I started saying, yes, Jesus, more than I started saying, no, Jesus. What I want to encourage you to do is come to prayer on Monday at 6 so that you can begin practicing saying, yes, Jesus, more and more. Okay? What we do at prayer on Monday is, honestly, it's, uh, it's a very simple way to begin praying. If you look at the overview of the night, we begin in pra praise. We talk about the good things that God has been doing in our life. Typically, we take some time to worship, right? We repent. We ask him to do stuff. And then we yield. We listen to God and we let him speak to us. And a lot of times, honestly, we hear from him. Loud and clear, and I'm dead serious. I'm not, even, I'm not even saying, oh, you hear from him. I'm saying literally people are like, oh, I feel like God is saying this. And people are like, oh, well, that spoke right to me. And I can't tell you how many times I've been ministered to in prayer by one of the students that has heard something and has spoke something, and it's been really powerful. It's met me where I, I was. So this acronym, PRAY, praise, repent, ask, yield, pray. It's something that we kind of do at prayer. We don't always talk about it. I am going to talk about it the next time we meet, just so you 
kind of get your mind wrapped around it. But it's going to help you to learn to begin praying. And then you can go in your own private time and you can just talk to him because that's what prayer is. It's just talking to God. Okay. What I'm going to encourage you to do tonight as we begin to wrap up is I'm going to encourage you to take some time to don't just sit there. Don't just wonder how long until we're done. But I want to encourage you to ask God, hey, I need you. How do you want to guide me? And begin to listen and let him speak to you in that. Allow him to speak to you directly. Allow him to speak to you through other people. So if you need prayer tonight, I want to encourage you to find somebody to, to pray for you. And typically what I would say is you always need to go into prayer with, with not only a question, but also a, a specific amount of time that you're willing to wait for the answer. Right? Because God is a living God. He is active and alive today. And he does want to interact with you if you give him time. But more often than not, we do not give it to him. We do not give him time. Okay, so what I want you to do tonight is I want you to, to practice saying, Jesus, I need you, and then your will be done. Okay? Uh, I want to take a couple of seconds just to, to kind of finish up and, and kind of like walk you through my story, uh, the ending of that story. All right? So Jesus said to me, you wouldn't do that for me. So what happened next? Well, Honestly, it was year one, senior year, uh, and then so I had another year left. And gradually, little by little, God began to reveal what that looked like. I eventually went to Japan for a little while. Um, I spent some time there working with a house church. And um, honestly, I tried to begin practicing saying yes to God more than I said no to him. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I am not perfect, and I will get into that story more later. Um, there were good times in my life when I said yes to him. Big times. And there were also big times in my life I said no to him. And that's really hard. Whatever you've said yes to God to in the past, celebrate that. Whatever you've said no to him in the past, don't let that keep you from saying yes in the future. Okay? Because even though God wants us to be obedient, even though he wants us to live in holiness, People make mistakes, and he knows that. He gives grace. He gives you second chances. Take the time to focus on saying yes and to learn to hear his voice and say yes more than you say no. So as, we're, as I'm wrapping up, I just want to finish up by saying Jesus doesn't give us hope for the future. He gives us hope today. He gives you forgiveness, gives you guidance. He speaks truth into your life. And he puts people around you that are going to help you to live a lifestyle that is worthy of the calling that he's put on your life. 